All right, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, and as Dale read to you verses 19 through 22, we're going to be talking about church membership. I'm going to miss next week, but I've got a very good friend of mine that has come, and his name is uh, Pastor Steve Williams. He's actually the pastor at Shores Baptist Church, um, solid Christian teacher, and I really believe that you will uh, be blessed by, by the word that he brings to you, but um, I'm going to be out of town next week. I'm going to start a series after that, uh, either in Esther or in Ezra, and then go through Nehemiah and Esther. I'm not sure yet, but I didn't want to begin a series this morning and then miss a week and then have to come back. And so I asked the Lord, I said, you know, what, what, could, I, what could I preach on and what could I teach on this morning that would benefit and be meaningful to the church? And I really felt led for church membership to be the teaching this morning. And here's my reason why. Uh, first reason is because we've got um, two different couples and, um, and then one young lady that are going to be joining the church this morning. And so I'm very thankful for that. Normally I try to meet with all of these people and all of these this morning I've either met with or I've had a personal conversation with and we've talked about their, I like to talk about their walk with Christ. I like to talk about, you know, uh, whether or not they've been born again. You know, to be a member of the church you ought to be born again. Amen. And so I like to talk to them about you know, their salvation, and I like to talk to them about uh, what, what leads them to, to Wells Baptist Church. And, and so I like to have that conversation with people before we actually present them to you as members. Uh, there are several people that um, I've told that I'm going to get with you, and because of my work schedule, my father's schedule, my, my pastoral schedule, it's been difficult to try to get with everybody. And so I felt like this morning will be a good morning to just talk to the entire church about what the Bible has to say about church membership. And I really believe that by the time this message is over with, I believe that you're going to be able to have a good understanding of what it should mean now, can I confess to you this morning and tell you that this is something that the Holy Spirit is genuinely convicting me over as a pastor, um, and I am genuinely working on how to actually be a better pastor toward the members of the people that God has put under my care. And I know that um, I, I've not done as good a job as I should have. I know that... The Bible tells me that as an elder, my job is to serve in the spiritual oversight of the church. My job is to, is to feed you the Word of God and to pray for you in such a way that I can monitor your walk with Christ. And I should be able to see whether you're progressing in faith and whether you are actually moving closer to being Christ-like. Or I should be able to see if you're not progressing or possibly even going backwards. And that's where I step in and my responsibility, and you're going to see this this morning, one day I'm going to have to give an account for your spiritual progress. One day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to have to give a, 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 um, an account, a recording if you will, of how I helped you and how I held you accountable in your spiritual growth. And I want to make sure that we are doing that in a way that I can stand before God, not ashamed. I don't want to stand before Him one day and have to duck my head and go, Lord. Because that's the way I feel right now. Anybody else feel that way? If I had to stand before the Lord and give an account today, I'd just duck my head in shame. 
I want to look at that right now while I have time, and I want to do my best to make sure that when I stand before Him, that everything within me was able to hopefully hear Him say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Right? So even though I know that I've not done as good a job as I should be, and matter of fact, a pitiful job in my opinion, I don't have to stay there, right? I can recognize it, and I can begin to make changes. And so we're going to be able to talk about church membership this morning. You know, many years ago, there was an old quartet called the Kingsmen. I don't know if any of y'all in here remember them. I know a few people will. But they sang a song that was called Excuses. It said, Excuses, Excuses. You hear them every day. And the devil, he'll supply them. If from what? If from the church, you'll stay away. And so one of the things that we learn is that for some reason there is something in our sinful self and there is the devil on our shoulder, if you will, in a way. And he is trying every way in the world to give you a reason to stay away from church. You think about it. We will come up with any reason to stay away from church. Will we not? I mean, we, if, if somebody needs to be visited in the hospital, when is the best time to go? Well, <laughs> somebody said after church, but let's be honest. The best time to go is maybe during Sunday morning service. I have people a lot of times that they'll come up to me and they say, you know so-and-so's in the hospital. We're going to go and we're going to go... Or they'll say, you know, I'm not going to be at church Wednesday night because so-and-so is in the nursing home and this and this. Or when's the best time to have a kid's birthday party? Usually on Sunday, right? And then we've got to get ready. Or if um, the old song that I'm talking about, it had a little part in it that said the whole family had to stay home to do what? Blow that poor kid's nose. <laughs> I mean, honestly, now, again, I'm not trying to... This is something that's in us. For some reason, we will find any excuse whatsoever to stay away from church. And there ought to be something in us, in our common sense, that would go, you know, there must be a reason behind that. There must be a reason behind that. Why is it so easy for me to miss church? And one of the things that I believe that we can do today, I think we can really give you a little better understanding of the purpose behind the church and why you actually come here, what it means to be a member of this church. And if you are better uh, equipped in your knowledge of that, it might give you some uh, ammunition to fight those excuses that try to keep you away from church so many times. And so if you have an outline this morning, you'll notice that I said here that many times I've heard people say that you don't have to go to church to be saved. You ever heard that? Anybody ever, ever or at least you've heard so, that somebody has said it. You, I don't have to go to church to be saved. And you know, there is a level of truth to that, very small level, but there is a level of truth to that. For example, if you define the church as this building, if this is the church that I'm coming to a building, do you have to go to a building to be saved? Absolutely not. But if you define the church in the way that the Bible defines the church then I want to tell you something this morning. If you are not a part of the church, you are. You, let me say this, I was going to say you're likely not saved. If you are not a part of the church, 
the called out people of God, you are not saved. You have to be brought into the body of Christ through, by grace, through faith, in the shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And when you get into that place, into that church, then yes, you are saved because you are in Christ. But now when the Bible defines the church, and anywhere you read the church in the Bible, those words do not define a building. They are defining a people, a certain type of people. As a matter of fact, everywhere you see the church in the Bible, that I, as far as I know of, everywhere that it's translated church in our English transla translation, it is actually the Greek word ecclesia. And so if... If we were to go back and actually look at what this word church meant back whenever the writers of the Bible wrote it, then we would get a better understanding of what it means to be a part of it. And this word actually meant the called out assembly. That's exactly what it meant. It meant the called out assembly. In other words, God has called you out of your sinful rebellion against Him he has opened your eyes to where you stand with Him. He has shown you the light of the glory of Christ and the gospel therein. And you believe it. You trust it by faith. He gives you new heart, new desires. And now you are called out of this darkness and called to follow Him into His marvelous light. And so the church is an assembly of people who have been called out of their sinfulness to follow God into His marvelous light. If you cannot say that you are a part of a called out people from sin unto the light of Jesus Christ, can I tell you this morning, you have not been born again. I don't care how many knees you've bowed at this altar. I don't care how many praise you, prayers you have prayed. I don't care how many times you've asked Jesus to come into your heart. If you have not been called out of your sin by the blood of Jesus Christ, trusting in that for your salvation and that alone, and following Him by faith, I can tell you today that you have not been born again. Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. There is a change that the Holy Spirit alone does in your heart. And if that change does not take place, again, I'm not talking about a perfection as far as you are now morally perfect and you'll never sin again. I'm talking about a change that understands that I was a sinner, but God has shown me where I stand with Him and I trust in what He has done for me through the Lord Jesus Christ and I'm following Him. I'm learning from Him. I'm, I'm actually coming out of darkness into the light. Do I still fight with darkness? Some Christian answered that this morning. You better believe you still fight with darkness. But there is a change in you. You're no longer just surrendered to darkness. Instead, you now want to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whenever you see the word church in the Bible, this is what it means. Let me show you some examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. To the church. Now we translate it church, but again, it is the Greek word ecclesia. And so basically whenever we translate this back to the Greek, we would read it like this. 
to the called out assembly of God. That's what we're looking at here. Well, who is the called out assembly of God that meets in Corinth? They are those who are what? Sanctified. Does that mean that they're perfect because they're doing everything right? No, they're sanctified in who? In Christ Jesus. They've been called out of darkness. They are following Jesus and they are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And they are called to be what? They are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and our Lord. So here we got, in a sense, one church, but I don't know if I should say two churches because that's not correct. There's only one church. But notice the first church here is the church that meets in where? In Corinth. we got a local assembly. And then they are called to be saints together with all those where? In every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And so to be a member of the called out assembly, it means that you are gathered together with other people who are called by the Lord Jesus Christ to come out of darkness into His marvelous light. And whether you are a part of a local congregation, or you're a part of the, uh, uh, let's say you're both. You should be a part of the local congregation. And then you also, if you are called out, are a part of the whole church as well that meets in different places. And look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. You'll see it again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, and this is to the called out assembly of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. So here we got local congregations of called out believers that are meeting all over the place. All right, And they're all one, but they are also individual congregations. Look again at uh, Galatians chapter 1 verse 2. <clears throat> and all the brothers who are with me to the, notice we got plural here, churches. Here you translate that to the called out assemblies, plural. So we got various assemblies of people that have been called by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ out of darkness into His marvelous light, and they meet all over Galatia. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy to the called out assembly of the Thessalonians. And so anytime Paul addresses, and we could go through many more, but anytime Paul addresses a group of believers, he usually is addressing a local congregation, but whatever he says to them applies to every congregation, no matter where they meet. But the point of this is that if you are going to be saved, you will not be saved without being a called out child of God by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to find out here after a while why it's important that if you claim to be that, you should assemble in a local congregation with other believers. And if you are a born-again Christian and you do not assemble 
then it is likely that you're missing some knowledge of the purpose of why we assemble. So let's go to the next part of our outline. Why do the called assemble? That's a good question, right? Why should I go to church? What is the purpose in it? Well, Ephesians chapter 2 is just one of many places that actually give us some teaching on this. But the first teaching is this. Because we've been called out of our separation from God due to our sinful rebellion, and we are now being built... So there's a building process that's going on, right? God does not save you to leave you where you are. You understand that, right? If you have been called out of darkness, that's that's progression, right? I'm being called out of darkness into His marvelous light. And so we are being built into something. We are being joined together. And I'm quoting all this from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. And we've done this to grow into a holy temple and to be built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So let me sum this up in a little bit quicker terms here. Why do we assemble? Because God is building a building out of you where He can be at home. Does He do this in individuals? Yeah. But He also does this in the body because in the body is His design for how we grow and how we become the dwelling place. Notice how many times He says you are joined together. Notice how many times He says you grow together. You you are being built together. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 again, and look at what this says. First off, it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. What does it mean to be a stranger somewhere? You You don't belong. This is not your home. And so you were, when you were in darkness, you were a stranger and an alien to God and His people and His ways. The truth of the matter is, if you are not born again this morning, you probably ought to be a little uncomfortable in here today. That's the truth of it. Now I'm not saying we're going to try to make anybody feel uncomfortable because that's not our goal. But you've got to understand, if you're not born again, you're living a different kind of life than we're living. And I'm not saying you're a bad person as the world would define it, but you're not by faith trying to please God in everything you do through serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're not doing that, then your life is completely contrary to the life that I'm living. And so there ought to be a way that you feel like a stranger and an alien to the things of God if indeed you're not born again. But he says here, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Why? Because you've been called out of this dark world and the sins of this world and you have been called in to His marvelous light to follow Him to be obedient to Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a separation that was there, but we have been called out of that separation. And notice what he says next. But instead of being strangers and aliens, you are fellow citizens. What does it mean to be a citizen of a place? This is your home. This is where you belong. 
You are fellow citizens with the saints. So in other words, with the other ones that God has made holy, that God has uh, redeemed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And the members, notice key word there, members of the household of God. There are people that belong to the household of God. And there are people who do not belong to the household of God. You understand that this morning? That's the reason why I come in here and I preach the way that I do so that you ought to be able to leave here today going, I know whether or not I belong and I'm a member or I know that something's missing. And if I want to belong here, something else has got to take place in my life. And so these people, because of their faith in Christ and because of their calling, are now citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And then notice what he says in verse 20. The verb here is what? Built. Being built. There's a building process going on. And it is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. So it starts there. Why does it start there? Because the prophets and the apostles are the one that have been commissioned and inspired by the Holy Spirit to give you the Word of God. And faith comes through what? Hearing. Hearing. And so we have the prophets that have been prophesying our need to repent from sin and where we stand with God and our only hope is to trust Him in the coming redemption back then. And then we have the apostles that are pointing back and they're showing us the Word of God and showing us that we must repent from our sin and come out of darkness and trust the Lord Jesus and what He has done for our sins. And so we are built on the foundation of the Word of God that came to us through the apostles and the prophets. Now notice, what is the cornerstone of this foundation? Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. I don't care if you're talking Old Testament prophets that were looking forward to His coming. They were preaching and laying a foundation of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the coming Messiah, in the coming Redeemer. Or I don't care if it's the apostles that are teaching you after the coming of Jesus. They're laying the foundation that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And to put it simply, the cornerstone was simply when they were building, it was the primary stone that everything else got its alignment from. Okay? To put it simply, if the cornerstone is not in perfect alignment, by the time you get a little further out, it just gets a little bit more off square and a little bit less of a good sound structure. But if the cornerstone that the foundation is being laid with is perfect, then every other stone that is laid according to that cornerstone is going to be what? And so we have this foundation that's being laid that is faith in Jesus Christ. And... We are being built into the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Now go on to verse 21. In whom the whole structure... Now, is a brick house made of one brick? Many bricks that go together and build a structure, right? And so, in whom the whole structure being joined together... This is important because, y'all listen to me, if you don't hear nothing else I say this morning, listen to this. The church, and what I say the church was, the assembly of called out people, right? The church 
is God's plan A for your sanctification, your holiness, for you becoming the dwelling place for Almighty God. The church is God's plan A. And do you know what plan B is? There ain't no plan B. There is no other plan. The church, the whole structure, in all its insecurities, in all of its flaws, in all of its failures. Have any of you in here ever read the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians? Have you seen that church? And yet, this is a church that God is building and God is working on and this is God's plan for how believers are going to be called out of darkness and follow Him into His marvelous light in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then notice next, the whole structure is joined together and notice what it does as it's joined together. What happens next? It grows. It grows into what? A holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built what? Together. You are being built together. And look what he says. Into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here's the thing that you need to understand. God has always planned to dwell. You know what the word dwell here means? It means to be at home. It means to be the place to where you can kick your feet up, you are comfortable, it is your place. And God has always planned that He is going to dwell with men on earth. You say, well, Brother Kevin, what about heaven? Do you not understand that John saw a new heavens and a new what? We are going to have a new creation. God is going to dwell with His people, with mankind in the earth, in a new heavens and a new earth. And here we see that this is going to be a dwelling place for God right now by the Spirit. But one day, God is going to walk with us. God is going to literally talk with us uh, mouth to mouth, word to word. We are going to see Him in the fullness of His glory and not die. (laughs) Not be consumed by the fire. This is what God has always planned, is that He is going to dwell with men on earth. But you remember where that failed? Adam and Eve. It failed in Adam and Eve. In the Bible, that's a lot of what the Old Testament is about. It shows us how sin separated us from God's plan to dwell with us and how a redemption and a salvation had to take place in order for God to dwell with man on earth again. You think about a few things that shows us that. You think about the, um, the tabernacle. You know, there was only a choice few people that God had to, um, that God had to make them able to be able to come into His presence, right? So even when we see the tabernacle, we see God tabernacling or dwelling with men, and yet as God dwells with them, He's not really able to dwell with them. Why? Because sinful rebellion is over here, and holiness and perfection is over here, and the two can't go together. 
And so we see in the picture of the tabernacle that there is a separation with God dwelling with men. We see in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, the same way that there is a separation and, and, and there is only uh, so far that you're able to go into the presence of God and even the ones that are able to go into the holiest of holies cannot go without shed blood. And so something has to pay the payment to make us redeemed so that we can stand in the holiness of God. And we see this all throughout the Bible. We see it in the Sinai mountain. You remember when the people tried to get close to the mountain? God said, don't you let them approach this mountain. (laughs) If they approach this mountain, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be destroyed. They're going to die. And when the people came to the mountain and the rocks broke into pieces and the trumpet blasted and they looked at Moses and they said, don't let God talk to us no more. You talk to God and we'll listen to you. You know why? Because there's a separation there. And God cannot dwell with sinful man. And so all throughout this we see it. The priesthood, no matter what you see this, we see we have to be saved. We have to grow and we have to be built into a dwelling place for God. That begins with the cornerstone being Jesus Christ and that makes everything perfect so that as it's being built, God is able to dwell even with sinful man like me. But I want to tell you something. The Bible also tells us that even though God dwells with us, that we can quench the Spirit. You know what it means to quench something? Water it out. The Bible tells us that we can grieve the Spirit. You know what it means to grieve something? And so we have to understand that if this is going to be a place where God can be at home and God can kick His feet up, first and foremost, it only happens through Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus died, what happened to the veil that separated us from God? from God. And so, first and foremost, it begins with Him. And then we are being built together. You and I come to church for the purpose of, as each part does its share, growth occurs in us. And the more we become like the cornerstone, right? The foundation. The more that we become like that, the less you grieve the Holy Spirit the less you quench the Holy Spirit, and the more, I believe, it is safe to say that God literally feels at home in you. Now again, I'm not preaching a works-based salvation. We know, again, that salvation is by grace through faith alone. Correct? The blood of Jesus Christ. He paid it all. But I also know that God wants to dwell with you right now. How does He do that? Through His Holy Spirit in you. He leads you and He guides you. And He's going through every room in your house, if you will. All right, Or let me say this. He's going through every room in His house. He's going through this room. He's going through this room. And as God goes through these rooms, God's a clean freak. God forgive me, I didn't mean to call you a freak, but y'all know what I'm saying. All right? God is all about cleanliness. And God is going through every room of this house. And He's sweeping and He's cleaning and He is making this a place where He can kick His feet up and He can dwell with someone like you. How does that happen? Through the church. Through being a member of the church. Through growing together. Being built together. And this is the way that it takes place. Next thing we see... We assemble because we need strength. 
in the inner man to be built. Notice if you would at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14 through 19, the prayer Paul, Paul prays about this church and about them coming together. He says, because what he was dealing with was Jews and Gentiles. And do you know what Jews and Gentiles had in common? <laughs> Did Jews and Gentiles like each other? Did they have any feelings of love toward each other? No, the truth of the matter is a Jew wouldn't even set foot on the dust of a Gentile's dirt. They hated each other. And now they're called to be built together into a dwelling place for God. It's a tough task. Wouldn't you agree with me? And notice what he says right here. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family, I don't care if you're a Jew or Gentile, in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, that He may grant you to be strengthened with what? Power. You're going to need power. Because how many of you know that you are not somebody that can just love somebody that you don't love? You're going to need power. He says that He may grant you to be strengthened with power through what? His Spirit in where? Your inner being. Why, God? Why do I need strength? Why, do you, why, why, do, why am I going to need this power of the Holy Spirit in me so that Christ may do what? Dwell in your hearts. Here again, if you are a born-again Christian by faith, you are saved. No question. But Christ is coming through His house because you are no longer your own, but you were bought at a price, right? And now Christ is going through His house and He's doing a cleaning process. And this is going to be a lifelong process. But as He does it, he, you're going to need power because He does it together with other believers so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded where? Here's what you're going to have to understand and here's what you're going to have to know. The only way that you're going to be able to grow together with other believers and the only way you're going to make church work is because, or the only way you're going to be able to do it is by making sure that you are rooted and grounded in love. You recognize the love that Christ has shown towards you. Let me ask you a question. Did God have any reason to love you? As far as on your part goes. <laughs> Paul tells us in the book of Romans that while we were yet, what? Sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. For the ungodly. Not the godly. He calls us enemies, ungodly, sinners, people who were contrary to God. And so we are rooted and grounded in the love that Christ has shown me personally. And when I'm rooted and grounded in that, then it ought to put me in a little better place, strengthened by His Holy Spirit through prayers of His people. That's what Paul was praying for the church. It ought to put me in a little better place to do this, to have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breath, what is the length, what is the height, and what is the depth of the love of Christ? 
So we need to be able to look at the love that Christ has had for me personally, understand who I am, and the more you understand who you are in the sight of God, the more you get rooted and grounded in His love, and then you're able to have strength to comprehend what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth. <clears throat> and then go to verse 19 for me. I mean, Yeah, there it is. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm not going to spend time breaking all that down this morning, but you get the gist of it. We need strength. We need accountability. Why? This is why. Notice where he goes to in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Notice where he goes to. He moves into application. I therefore... In other words, therefore, because... God's building a building in you because God has called you out of darkness because you are redeemed, because you are forgiven, because you have experienced a love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and because you're going to need strength by the Holy Spirit to grow this building. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What is that, Paul? With all what? You ain't going to be a very good church member if you're prideful, are you? If it's all about you, you're not going to be a very good church member. With all humility, with all gentleness, if you're not a gentle person, you're not going to last very long with, with other church members. Because they're not godly. They're trying to learn to be godly. But they're still sinners. If you're not patient, you're not going to be a very good church member. If you're not bearing with one another in love, you're not going to be a very good church member. If you're not eager to what? Maintain what? The unity of the Spirit. And what is the unity of the Spirit? We've all been saved and called out by the same Savior. We've been baptized with the same baptism. The same Holy Spirit dwells in each of us. We have to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This is why you need strength. Where does that strength come from? Let me ask you a question. If you never have the opportunity to be patient, will you ever learn patience? If you never have the opportunity to be long-suffering, will you ever be long-suffering? And so, it is in the church, as flawed as she is, that God grows us together into these things. And the more we learn these things, and the more we practice these things, the more we actually grow into a dwelling place of God that God can kick His feet up and He can actually be at home within me and within us. And this is the goal of the church. Next, <clears throat> because God designed us to grow only together. There is no plan B. There is no other way for your sanctification. Listen to me. If you really think you're going to sit at home and listen to the TV preacher and not be in the fellowship and you're going to grow in your Christ-likeness, you've missed it. You've missed it. There is not 
a plan B for your sanctification. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Ephesians chapter 4, verse um, 11 through 16. He gave the apostles, the prophets, and he's talking about the gifts to men that he gave here. So the apostles and the prophets, and what did they lay again? The foundation, right? So the apostles and the prophets, through the Word of God, we have the foundation. Then he gave the evangelists, and what do evangelists do? They go out there and spread the message of Jesus and the apostles and the prophets. Then he gave shepherds, and what do shepherds do? They watch over and they care for the ones that the evangelists have brought in and, and built the foundation on. And then he gives teachers, and what do teachers do? Teachers continue to teach because that's the last part of the Great Commission. Teach them to observe what? All things that I have commanded. This is discipleship. And He gave these gifts to equip who? The saints. You are being equipped for the work of the ministry. And what is the work of the ministry? The building up of the body of Christ. Our job when we come in here together. You say, preacher, why do you want me to come to Sunday school? Because this is where you get equipped to actually grow in your relationship with Christ. To actually apply the word of the prophets and the apostles and the Lord Jesus Christ to your life. This is where we grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith. So there is a unity of faith. And, and, and if you look at denominations out there today, we're a long ways away from that, ain't we? And so we're trying to attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Jesus, you say, I'm so far away from being like Jesus, it ain't funny. I understand that. I feel that. But can I also tell you that we should be striving to get better at that? That we should be listening to the Holy Spirit? That we should be praying for one another? That we should be holding each other accountable? How many of y'all like somebody holding you accountable? Didn't have many hands go up. But how many of you are smart enough to know that you need accountability? I need it. There are many times in my life that my emotions take over. Somebody ought to say amen. And there are many times that I need a brother in Christ to come along beside of me to say, Brother, I get it. I understand but I wouldn't be your friend and I wouldn't love you if I didn't try to steer you in the way that God would have you to go. I need people like that in my life. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I have brought people in this church right here, sing, not, not with any other people, just called them up say, hey, meet me here, and I've had to talk to them about a sin in their life or about things that I know when I see they're not progressing and coming out of darkness, but instead they're going the wrong way. Would I be much of a pastor if I just left them there? And this is where the church comes in. We need each other to teach and to train and to hold accountable. And the, the more that we have this, the more you become closer and closer to a place where God can dwell and kick His feet up and actually be at home. This is why we assemble. Or better yet, this is why we church. This is why we church. This is why we do what we do.
<coughs> Next question. Is placing membership in a local assembly biblical? Yes and no. Didn't think you'd hear me say that this morning, did you? Yes, absolutely, and no. There is no explicit command that says, you shall come before the church and say, I want to be a member of this congregation. So no, there is no command that explicitly says those words. But throughout the Bible, and especially the New Testament, it is implied all over Scripture that there is going to be some form of understanding between people that you are committed to this local body of believers, that I as the pastor am committed to you, and you are committed to my teaching and my leadership and to all the other gifts that God has placed in this building. Let me show you just a few examples of it. Matthew chapter 18, verse 17 through 20. Let's read these very quickly. And this is where we're dealing with the brother who sins. You remember that? If he sins, you go to him and you tell him his fault between who? You and him alone. And then, if he won't repent and he's still in sin, you go get two or three witnesses, you go get two or three that, that have the heart of restoration for this brother or sister in their mind and in their heart, and you go sit down with them again with two or three more so that every word can be established and so that you can hopefully gain this brother or sister back from sin. Because again, we need accountability, right? We're being called out of darkness into light, not to go back into darkness. Alright? And so, if that don't work, if he refuses to listen to them, here's the last step. Tell it to who? The church. Now again, remember... We read it in English language as church and we think about a building. They read it in the Greek and they understood these are the assembled people that have been called out of darkness. This is the assembly that comes together, that they're all in the same page, that we're coming out of darkness and we're moving into light and we come and we tell it to the church. Well, let me ask you a question. Who's the church? How are we to determine who's in and who's out? Because there is an out. Can I tell you today that as much as you hate it, and, and I hope you don't leave, but if you want to know the truth of the Bible, this is true. Excommunication exists. It is biblical. Now, is it so that we can just kick people out? Nope, and many people have abused it. Many people. It is for the good of that believer. It is for the hope that they will come out of darkness and back into the called out assembly and continue being called out. But if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, he's out. Now does that mean he can never come back in? No. Matter of fact, the hope is always still that He comes back in. The hope is that He will repent from His sin and that He will get back on this path. That is the hope. The restoration of this brother. And then He says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in earth. How much confidence does God place in the voice of the assembly of the called out believers? I'm not going to teach on that this morning. Again, I say to you, if what? Two of you. How, how many people does it take to make an assembly of called out believers? Two. 
this has been mistranslated, misinterpreted, let me say that, so many different ways, but it's about church discipline. Make no mistake about it. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, again, study the context. He ain't saying that if you want that new Cadillac, mama been wanting a new Cadillac, <laughs> that if you agree on it, I just get Robert come up here. Hey, brother, will you agree with me on this Cadillac, brother? Yeah, buddy. Will you agree with me on one too? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the assembly of called out believers coming together and agreeing on a decision they made on whether a brother or sister is, walking, is coming out of darkness and going into light or they're going back into the darkness. And he said, whatever two or three of you, whatever they ask, it is going to be done for them by my Father in heaven. And then here's why. I go to, did I give you verse 20? For where two or three are gathered in my name, God dwells in the assembly of the called out believers. He's in the midst of it. This is the reason why, Baptists, we do business meetings. How many of y'all love a business meeting? Man, ain't them things wonderful? Can I be honest with you? Ours have been pretty good. Could have been very sour. Could have been very bad. We've dealt with some things here lately that were difficult issues. Matter of fact, we prayed hard. I had people stopping by my work going, Brother, I'm praying for you. I had messages coming in on my phone saying, Hey, I'm praying because I know this business meeting could be a doozy. And then we get up there and we teach about the way that God would have us to act. We pray. And you know what? Such issues that could have been so difficult went so smooth. Why? Because they understood that where two or three were gathered, God was there too. And they all came together with one purpose. God, we want to do Your will. We want to do what's best for the congregation of believers. And we're going to trust what You say in the voice of the majority of the assembled believers. So, we need accountability. That's my point. There has to be some way of knowing who's the church. So, Apparently, everybody is going to know in some way who's in and who's out, and that's why we do it through membership. Another thing is that letters of recommendation existed in the Bible. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? In this day and time, it was very common if a minister was going to travel or, or a church servant of someone was going to another congregation somewhere, they would get a letter of recommendation from an entire congregation on their standing with God and, and whether or not they should be accepted into the congregation. Now, today, I don't do letters of recommendation. You know why? Because that ain't nothing more than a tradition for most churches. If you go to another church and you send me a letter of recommendation, I'm probably going to wad that thing up and I'm probably going to throw it out the window. Now what will I do? I'll probably call that pastor. I'll probably call that pastor. And I'll probably sit down and I'll probably talk to that pastor. I'm going to just figure out some things. I'm going to look at some things that's going on. I'm going to make a decision on whether or not it is actually a good God-sent thing for you to be a member of this church. When I first started doing that, there are people in this church that didn't like it. Oh, they didn't like it. They thought I'm trying to decide who's in and who's out. But can I tell you that one of my responsibilities is to determine in some way who's in and who's out? Let me show you a scripture. Acts chapter 20. Did I give you that one? 
sorry. Acts chapter 20, verse... Um, I got to turn there. I apologize. Acts chapter 20, and we will start in verse... Um, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. He's talking to the elders here. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now here's another clue for membership right here. Think about this. If God through His Holy Spirit has made me an overseer over a particular flock, wouldn't it be a good idea that I know who I'm accountable to? Wouldn't it know or, or who I'm accountable for? If God has made me an overseer over a particular group, I need to have some way of knowing who that group is. This is another argument for membership in the church. So pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which He obtained with His own blood. Go to verse 29. I know that after my departure... Fierce wolves will come in among you, what? Not sparing the flock. Now go to verse 30. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. You think church trouble is a new thing? You think false teachers are a new thing? You think people twisting the truth is a new thing? Absolutely not. What's my job? My job is to guard that. My job is to guard, to make sure that wolves don't take none of the sheep. My job is to make sure that truth don't get twisted. My job is to make sure that if men try to arise and try to teach things that are contrary to the Scripture, my job is to shut that down. In some way, my job is to decide who comes in, and in some ways, my job is to decide who needs to go out. Now, that is also done with the whole voice of the church. Can I tell you that? But it begins with me. I believe that wholeheartedly. And so there again, I believe that membership is biblical in that. Let me show you just one, one more example. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now that sounds real easy coming from the pastor up here, don't it? Just do what I tell you to do. That is in one sense what he's saying, but not in the way I just said it. You have a responsibility to obey your biblical leaders, your leaders that are teaching you the Word of God. I have no authority over you except to say, Thus says the Lord. And this is the direction that the Word of God would have you to go in your life. And your job is to obey that, obey your leaders, and submit to them. Now here's the key word I want you to notice. Obey whose leaders? How does he know, how do you know who your leader is that you submit to and that you obey? How do I know that I am your leader? Good question, right? And notice why he says, For they are keeping watch over 
your souls. That's my job. My job is to, and i got to do a better job at this, but my job is to make sure that I understand who the members of this church are so that I know who I am accountable for, their progress of coming out of darkness into the light. And you need to be able to make a commitment and understand in your heart and your mind that I am submitting to this pastoral leadership, that I am submitting to this biblical leadership, and you need to be able to see that. And if you can see that, then again, this is a call for you to assemble with this group of called out believers so that you can grow together into it. One last scripture and I close. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 through 3. 1 Peter 5, verse 2 through 3. Look at what this says. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Talking to the elders. This will be for me. Exercising oversight. My job is to oversee the spiritual progress in all of your lives. Not under compulsion, but instead I do it willingly. I'm happy to do this. It's for your joy and my joy and for the glory of God Almighty. As God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Go to verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge. Again, are you called to submit to my leadership? Absolutely. Am I called to stand over you with a whip and say, you're not doing right? No, not at all. Not domineering over those in your charge, but how am I to lead you? By being an example. By being an example before you. And if you can see that, in the leadership of your church, then you should commit to that with all its flaws, with all its failures. You should become a member of that church so that you understand this is where I join with this congregation to grow into the building that God is trying to build, that I become a dwelling place for Him with a group of other people, that I use the gift that God gave me to make sure that as each part does its share, growth occurs according to Ephesians chapter 4, growth occurs. And so I need to make sure that I understand that no, there is no explicit command that you have to come before a church and become a, a member. But on the same way, there has to be some way that we all understand who belongs to who. And the way that we do that, the way that we do that, is through placing membership to say, if Pinky comes and he says to me, Brother, I believe this is the assembly that God would have me to assemble with. And I believe that I can trust your leadership. And I believe that I can grow into the Christian that God would have me to grow in this place. And I am making a commitment to submit to your biblical, godly leadership by the example that you live. And then... I make that same commitment back to you that, Pinky, I'm going to watch over you. I'm going to care for your soul. I'm going to stand before God one day and say, I led, I taught, I shepherded Pinky in a way to lead him in the best way that I could. And if we both hold our parts and do that, glory comes to God and joy comes to us. This morning, I'm not going to have much of an invitation because I don't do um, membership as far as the way that y'all do where people just come up and um, 
and, uh, and just ask if you are interested in being a member, and it is my prayer that if you have seen it biblically. Now listen, if you're not convinced of Scripture, don't you worry about it. But if I have convinced you through Scripture this morning that church membership is a good thing, and that it is a thing that's healthy for you and healthy for me, then I would invite you to come and see me before you leave here to say, hey brother, I want to talk about becoming a member of this church. And I'd be glad to sit down and meet with you and talk about that and where you're coming from and whatnot. But this morning, the reason I'm doing this is I have Mr. Glenn and Lynn Ishi. And if Glenn, if, Lynn, if y'all would, come on up and stand up here. I'm going to embarrass them a little bit this morning. Glenn and Lynn are coming from uh, Dixon First Baptist Church in Dixon, Tennessee. And I am excited to have them. Um, I spoke to, um, I actually spoke to Pastor Mike Miller where they're coming from, and, um, and I spoke to a woman in the, the women's ministry over there, and, and they had so much to say about Lynn, and Glenn, you know, he's all right. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. They said that Mike was so involved in every, everything the church did, but especially the men's ministry. Lynn was the, uh, one of the leaders and teachers in the women's ministry, and he could not speak highly enough for uh, the part that she has played in helping women learn how to study the Bible and, and just helping, helping women throughout the church grow in their relationship with Christ. I just know that they're going to bring a lot to the table and not to say that uh, some other member don't. Now listen, the Bible talks about presentable parts and unpresentable parts, right? That there are some that, that shine a little bit more than others. But does that mean that the unpresentable are any less needed? No, you better, better believe it's not. You can't see my pinky toe right now, but you better believe one thing. You cut it off, I'll know it. I'll know it. And so this morning, I'm thankful that God has sent them here. And um, I would like to recommend them to Wales Baptist Church for your approval for membership. What say you this morning? All right. <clears throat> and then i also like to ask uh, Kirby and Brooke Carpenter to come up. Um, Kirby Carpenter um, has been a member of this church for a long, long, long time. And uh, before my time and um, through um, circumstances of the world, um, he, uh, he lost his wife and, um, and God has blessed him to have another relationship and another marriage with Ms. Brooke Penrod, uh, Brooke Carpenter now. And uh, Ms. Brooke is coming actually from another faith, but um, she has uh, some biblical training, but she comes from another faith, but she has been baptized into the Baptist faith. She believes what we're teaching. She, uh, she believes that this is a place that she can grow in her faith, and uh, she wants to know if she can actually place membership in this assembly of believers. So what say you on Ms. Brooke Carpenter? And then uh, the, the last one for this morning, if Mr. Chance uh, and Katie Motter would come forward this morning. Uh, Chance, I talked to Chance for a while last night. It was kind of a last minute thing, but um, I was glad to be able to talk to him. And, um, and he, they have two kids, and uh, uh, Chance, your little girl is Macy, right? Now your little boy's name, what is it? Calvin, Calvin and Macy. So Calvin and Macy Motter. But um, I talked to Chance last night, and uh, Chance is coming from a sister church. And I talked to him about the way that he was leaving that church. And, um, and honestly, after talking to him, I really felt like it was a good decision for him and his family. And let me tell you this, just in case you don't know, I don't want to scare anybody, but I have met with a lot of people. Ask my wife. She can't stand it when we do this. But if I don't believe that God has led you to this church, what do I do? 
I ask them and I love them enough to minister to them to go back and if it's something they need to do or something that, that they need to work on, then I love them enough to minister to them and try to, try to help them do that. I really felt like that what Chance and Katie were looking for, that even though they left a sister church that has some struggles right now, I really believe that they uh, are great candidates for membership or you would never have seen them this morning. But I believe wholeheartedly that, um, that, that God would have them to be in this assembly of believers and we pray for the church that they're coming from and we pray for their growth and their progression as well. But based on the conversation that I've had with Mr. Chance Motter here, I would like to recommend them to this assembly for membership in this body. What say you on that? All right. <clears throat> and I say to all you, and y'all know this, because Chance already told me this, and I've already talked to Lynn. I know Brooks the same way, but you're not here to sit in a pew. We're going to find you a place. Now, I would like to say this, give it a little time. I'd like for you to be here for just a little while before I start putting you in the pulpit, okay? But... Um, <laughs> But um, I, I, would, I would love to see you looking for ways and coming to me and say, hey, brother, can I serve here? Can I do this? And so I look forward to seeing ways that they're going to bring their gifts and ability to, to help grow this body of believers into a dwelling place for Almighty God. And I ask you to love them up. You know, when we give somebody the right hand of fellowship, the right hand means one chiefly relied on. That's the reason why it's kind of offensive to give somebody your left hand. One chiefly relied on. It's a sign of respect. And when you give them the right hand of fellowship, fellowship is more than just being together. My uh, brother Nick King would say, you can tie two cat's tails together and throw them over a clothesline, and they'll be together. <laughs> but they ain't got fellowship. <laughs> fellowship means we're in this for the same purpose. Amen. We're trying to accomplish the same thing. We're trying to present people and ourselves before God so that one day we're able to hear Him say to each and every one of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's what we're all trying to do. And so um, I ask you this morning before they leave, come give them the right hand of fellowship and hug their neck. Do what? Chassie wants them to come out front with us and uh, just embarrass them a little bit more. So uh, I'm going to send them out front. Chassie, if you would, go ahead and go out with them and I'll be right behind y'all. So y'all just go with Chassie. And, um, and then I'm fixing to close this in prayer and you'll be dismissed. <laughs>